Good morning. Some of you, along with your toast and your marmalade, or whatever you have for breakfast, may also take The Guardian. Uh, this Liberal newspaper ran an ad campaign many years ago. Actually, it was in the mid-80s. Time goes, doesn't it? Filmed in black and white, it showed a young man, back in that day, he'd have been called a skinhead, running at full pelt down the street towards a startled-looking middle-aged gentleman. It looked like the skinhead was going to attack. A switch of camera angles showed a pallet, a building material, about to descend on the older man, surely crushing him to death. Except he is rescued by the skinhead, pulled out of the way in the nick of time, with a voiceover saying, it's only when you get the whole picture can you fully understand what is going on. I'd like, I think today we need to look at the passage carefully to get the whole picture, which is why, uh, in the defiance of church authority, I, kind of, I asked Ruth Ann to read two extra verses. We're looking at verses 9 to 19, not as it says 17. Um, it gives a whole cast of characters who have their own agendas and interests. Let's meet them. But before we do, let's ask uh, a question. Of the characters that we see in this gospel story, who would you pick to play or to be? God speaks to us all through his word in the Bible. One way to hear his voice more clearly and understand better what he is saying is to focus on one person. So, in this passage, who are the choices? You could be Matthew. You could be some of his disreputable mates or the Pharisees. Maybe you even want to take a back seat and be one of the two lots of disciples, those following Jesus or John. Or perhaps the other individual, along with Matthew, who is named in this passage, the ruler, who rather abruptly ends our passage. Or maybe even Jesus himself. Let's start for a moment with Matthew. One of the commentators, Tom Wright, the former Bishop of Durham, suggested that this gospel story reminded him of the Bob Dylan song, The Times They Are A-Changing. Don't worry, I won't sing it. Um, 80s, 60s, we won't go back any further, I promise. It was a hopeful theme tune of the 1960s cultural revolution in the West, where it seemed the world could be turned upside down for the better. It meant people behaving in ways that others found unacceptable, even offensive. The title of this talk is Party People, and I will come back to that later at the end. But I was thinking about subtitling this talk, Jesus Behaving Badly, as he did herald that times really are a-changing, but not in a way that was either universally accepted or expected. As he does throughout the Gospel, Jesus is upsetting the established order big time, engaging with people who should be shunned and suggesting it's time for a radical new sort of relationship with God. A case in point is Matthew. Jesus asks the tax collector to follow him. Matthew does so, leaving his tax collector's booth. Unlike today, tax collecting was a rough old game. Well, you know, more than rough old game, certainly more than today. Essentially privatised, as long as the Roman authorities got what they reckoned was due to them, they weren't fussed about methods or how much the taxmen collected for their back pocket. With such a doubtful pedigree... Matthew would not be the first choice for the sort of person you wanted as a disciple proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God, or at least not according to the Pharisees, and perhaps not according to us either. But the calling of Matthew comes in the midst of a whole passage 
on Jesus doing miraculous works of healing. And while in one way you could see Matthew's calling as part of the same story as the calling of the first disciples back in chapter 4, which we looked at a few weeks ago, you could also argue that Jesus is healing Matthew. By following Jesus, he is rejecting his old life, his old life as a petty enforcer, rip-off merchant and crook. The verb in verse 9, which we have got as got up, the King James Bible says, and he arose, which is a translation from the original, the verb resurrection. This is Jesus healing, giving new life to someone who for years either willingly or unwillingly had lived a despised existence. Good news indeed, and so time for a party and time for setting up all sorts of conflict. Matthew's rejection of his old life didn't mean he deleted his old mates from his address book. They came, presumably spurred on by sheer nosiness to see what had happened, and perhaps at Matthew's insistence that they had to meet Jesus. The dinner they attended may have been in Matthew's house, but it is clear that he's hosted by Jesus, and they are players in the drama that he has set up. A few verses before, Jesus in chapter 8 Uh, verses 10, Jesus responding to the faith of the centurion said, I say to you, many will come from east and west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We echo those words in some of the liturgy of our communion service and it's a strong and enduring image of how it will be one day. And it's an idea elsewhere in the Bible, the famous Psalm, for instance, Psalm 23 talks about preparing a table. Here, Jesus is having a practice run of kingdom life, but not with the expected guests. Those please note, there is nothing to say that they are not welcome, but with tax collectors and sinners. This collection of riffraff provokes and shocks both the Pharisees and disciples of John. The latter, you may have expected, to have been more sympathetic. Jesus is asked a couple of times why questions. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? And the answer he gives, in essence, the answer is because God, through Jesus, through his son Jesus, is in the middle of a new work. So why wouldn't you want to celebrate? It's all different now. In this passage, we we have four images. We have the doctor, we have the bridegroom, we have the patching up of old garments, and we have the new wine being poured into new wineskins. And all point the same way. A common thread through all these is that we are all sinners who need healing. And, good news, along with healing, we've all been invited to God's banquet. That is a joyful message. And it's in contrast to the gloom which hangs over the righteousness of the Pharisees with their constant grumbling at Jesus for what he is doing, who he is doing with, and what he is saying. Again, the response of Jesus is to say it's different now. But he also points out that the good news that he is declaring is what God has always wanted and what he proclaimed through the Jewish prophets. God wants heartfelt mercy, not blind ritual. He wants relationship, not mindless action. This mercy rooted in our Old Testament the scriptures of the day, the mercy of God shown through Jesus leads us on to the parable of the wineskins. 
What Jesus seems to be telling the Pharisees and the disciples of John is that you can't mix old religious rituals and ways of thinking with new faith in Jesus. Let's not get this too wrong. For us today, there may well be good spiritual reasons to practice discipline such as prayer, fasting, retreats, because they may help us, and this comes back to what we're trying to learn in the growth course, to be led more by Jesus, to lead more like Jesus, and to lead more to Jesus. And as we experience more of the love of Jesus and witness the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, both personally and here as a church, so we will throw off our old ways, old habits, old sins as we enter a new life in Jesus. So while the Pharisees were moaning and John's disciples were being peevish, Matthew and his mates were having a great time. Perhaps their enjoyment was even enhanced by the disapproval of others. Happens like that sometimes, doesn't it? And then right at the end of the passage, the party atmosphere gets blown. I'm sure we've all been to celebrations where that has happened. I won't go into details, but we can all name parties that have gone wrong, can't we? What happens? Well, a character appears in the stories that we haven't yet talked about much, the ruler. You may recall that our vicar, Richard Moy, has preached on him before. This respected man in charge of administering the synagogue comes to Jesus and makes one shocking and one extraordinary claim. The shocking one, my daughter's just died. The extraordinary one, but come and put your hand, Jesus, put your hand on her, and she will live. In some ways, it could be said that his appearance is odd, out of place, not very relevant at all to all that has gone on. But I think he's at the centre of the action, Just as the Guardian ad suggested, only when you get the full picture can we fully understand. The comparison between the two men, Matthew and the ruler, is central to the passage. For all the social and religious attitudes and positions that divide, they find themselves at one in their their desire to know and be known by Jesus. Although one was called by Jesus and one sought him. They were probably both very surprised to find themselves in such a position. Jesus, I think, was no doubt delighted that Matthew had followed him, that he, Jesus, had provided a foretaste of heaven with sinners, and that he had taught about the kingdom of God. But I think in this passage, his greatest delight would have been that the ruler had come to him and had listened to his words about the kingdom. I'm sure we all do it in Bible studies. I do it all the time. But it's easy to slip over some words. But look at verse 18. While he was saying this, or as King James' Bible puts it, while he was saying these things. It's not clear when this conversation with the Pharisees and John's disciples took, took place. But it is clear that this ruler heard every word about the kingdom of God. And that changes how, too, we should hear about this passage. If this gospel were a film or TV drama, at the beginning of this episode, there would have been been establishing shots. Perhaps a glimpse of the body of the daughter. Perhaps the sound of wailing and crying. And perhaps the shot of the ruler leaving his house. Where did he go? He went to Jesus, the man you would have thought he would not have gone to. The man who was getting such a hard time from the Pharisees. And if you had suffered the terrible bereavement that the ruler had just gone through, 
You may think that the heated arguments over fasting, bridegrooms, wine and wineskins, which presumably went on for a lot longer than the summary we have in the Gospels, must have been a terrible blur, even for a man of the synagogue. But he must have understood that something remarkable had happened to Matthew, someone he would, he would have ignored and despised in equal measure. And now, like Matthew, he needed something utterly remarkable in his life. He needed his daughter to come back to life. So maybe it wasn't a blur of words. Maybe having found Jesus, he hangs on his every word. And what does he hear, this man of the synagogue? He he hears God desires mercy. He would have got the reference from Hosea. Isn't it what he desired from God at the moment? Overwhelming mercy. And he hears how pouring new wine into new wineskins, both can be preserved. It sounds like a life-affirming message. Could the ruler not help but realize that Jesus was talking directly to him, just as much as Jesus talked to Matthew when he commanded, follow me, just as Jesus longs to talk to directly and personally into our lives this morning? When the ruler could eventually command the attention of Jesus, did he patiently wait or did he, could he finally bear it no more and interrupt? His first action was to kneel before him in submission knowing only he, Jesus, could help. Again, perhaps the King James adds to our understanding by saying that he worshipped Jesus, perhaps as a direct result of what he had just heard. The reaction of Jesus is one of compassion. He is needed and he goes. At the beginning of March, Archbishop Justin Welby gave a lecture where he highlighted the calling of Matthew as the revolutionary love of Jesus in action. The whole lecture is worth a read. I'm sure you can find it on your favourite Google search engine. Archbishop Justin says, I want to start by saying just two simple sentences about the church. First, the church exists to worship God in Jesus Christ, just what we saw the ruler do. Second, the church exists to make new disciples of Jesus Christ, as we've seen in this passage. Everything else is decoration. Some of it may be very necessary, useful or wonderful decoration, but it's decoration. In describing the call of Matthew, Archbishop Justin notes, he, Jesus, came to them, Matthew and the other tax collectors, and transformed their world. In fact, he caused great disruption. Jesus is the light of every person. He comes to all and for all. Apart from him, there is only darkness. Both, Both Matthew and the ruler, in different ways and in different reasons, knew that darkness. And in that darkness... They both turn to Jesus. And I think it's the actions of the ruler and of Matthew are ones that we can emulate today. We can turn to Jesus. Do we need to heed the call of Jesus and kneel at his feet in worship? Like the ruler, we can kneel knowing that Jesus is Saviour and Lord. Like Matthew, we can follow him and allow our lives to be transformed. Perhaps we have heard the call and knelt a thousand times before. Perhaps we've always meant to heed the call and kneel, but never quite got round to it. Perhaps we're just at the point that we can, for the first time, hear and kneel, acknowledging who Jesus is and whose we should be. 
As Matthew and the ruler witness, Jesus is there for all of us. In that lecture, Archbishop Welby says, this is the free work of God to bring light into the darkness. It's not technique, it's not manipulation, it's not organization, it's not systems, it's God, it's raw God. We all have our own unique life experiences. Today, we will be somewhere on the spectrum between the desire of Matthew to party and the desperation of the ruler. Whatever state we're in, we have that promise that we too can experience raw God. And that is why ultimately we know that we will all be party people. And we can make a start today, celebrating the love of God and sharing that saving love in our daily lives and in this parish. Knowing whatever happens in this life and however distant it may sometimes seem, we can look forward to sitting down with Jesus and with Matthew and with the ruler to that banquet to end all banquets. Amen.